0: We've just entered the Christmas season and it seems that volunteering goes up this time of year. Makes you wonder why is that? What leads people to volunteer their time and energy to serve others often with no tangible return? I'd say a lot of people volunteer out of a sense of obligation. They may not truly care about helping others, they just feel obliged to help. You know, in college before I became a Christian, I had joined a fraternity, and all fraternities hold philanthropy events. To serve some charity, but I think it's mostly for the sake of optics to give the appearance that they care about the needy. In reality, I don't think any of us really thought about or cared about the cause we were serving. And to prove my point, sadly, I don't have the faintest recollection of what cause we were serving. The only thing I can remember is that I had to give up one Saturday afternoon or Sunday actually to work concessions at an Oakland Raiders game for free. And all the proceeds went to some charity, which I don't remember. But I think a lot of people volunteer like this. It's for optics. It's an obligation. They want to look like they care. Other people volunteer for social interaction. There are many charity-based groups or clubs out there. And some people get involved more for the social networking. They want to grow their business. They want to make some friends more than they really want to just help those in need. But I wouldn't say all people are so misguided in their motive for service. Some are much more altruistic. They volunteer not to get anything in return, tangible or intangible, but they really just want to help those in need. And this type of selfless, sacrificial service should characterize all Christians. I mean, far be it from us if this describes nonbelievers and not us. Even more so, selflessly serving others, it should not just describe Christians, it should identify them. I hope you realize that serving others is not just a task or a duty of a Christian. It's part of the very identity of what it means to be a follower or disciple of Jesus Christ. Serving others is part of what it means to follow him who, after all, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Lord Jesus came to lay down his life for our benefit. And now we who follow him, we take up our cross And although we're not making atonement for others, we're called to embody his selfless, sacrificial servant spirit. How are we to serve? We serve our enemies by praying for them. Serve our neighbors by caring for them. We serve the lost by witnessing to them. But one of the most important dimensions of our service, given by the Lord himself, is in regard to one another. The Lord Jesus is very concerned that his followers Passionately pursue serving one another in the church. Why is this such a big deal? Well, in the Lord's design, this is how his church is going to grow, going to grow up into his image. You should know that the greatest analogy used of the church in Scripture is that of the body. And what better way to describe the church? It's a single, unified organism, living thing. But it's comprised of countless individual, unique, different parts. And like a body, this church will only grow and thrive when all those different individual parts come together and work together. For God designed them to be interdependent. I mean, you might have a super healthy heart, but what good is that if your lungs decide to quit? You could have perfect hearing, but what if your eyes give out? Or you might have bodybuilder muscles, but what use is that if you have no hands? And we call these diseases or disabilities, and they prevent the body from growing or thriving. And, and so it goes with the body of Christ. It takes all the different members coming together, working together to serve one another for the whole body to grow and thrive. Maybe it's time, though, to ask a question of yourself you've never asked. You know, are you a malfunctioning member? Are you contributing to the growth of the body through your active service? Or are you contributing to the decline of the body by your passive spectating? And furthermore, I can almost guarantee if you are merely a passive observer in the church, that your own spiritual growth is stunted because God did not design you to grow that way. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. This is a familiar passage. That's a good thing. This needs to be a familiar passage, a passage we turn to often and refer to often. And here we learn that the church grows through interdependence. The church grows through mutual service. And I'm not talking about growth like numbers. I'm talking about growth like maturity, being built up. That's what this passage is about. Ephesians 4.11 says, and he, the Lord gave some as apostles and some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Lord Jesus has given gifted men to the church. And we thank the Lord for that, that we, we need gifted men to serve in these capacities. But to what end did the Lord give gifted men to the church? Well, you know where this is going. Verse 12, he gave them for the equipping of the saints. For the work of service. And that phrase, the work of service. It's talking about all facets of Christian ministry. And we associate the work of the ministry with ministers, right? And that's correct. The work of the ministry is for ministers. You just need to change your definition though of minister. That all believers, all the saints, the holy ones, those called. It's just every Christian is to God a, a minister, a servant, All are meant to minister to one another with their gifts. Already, does that describe you or not? And what is the result, the the intended end of this mutual ministry? Well, again, verse 12. He gave these men for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the son of God. To a mature man. To the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Aka spiritual growth. At the end here is spiritual growth. Individual and corporate spiritual growth. Are completely dependent on the mutual service of all. It starts with Christ the head supplying power to the body. And then like it says down in verse 16. From whom? From Christ Christ. The whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So look, like he says in verse 15, how do we grow up in all aspects into him who is the head Christ? Well, answer is it's by the proper working of each individual part. If each individual part is not doing its job, that part is going to suffer and the whole body is going to suffer. So do you individually want to grow up and mature in Christ? Well, again, that growth is going to come through interdependence, through mutual service, both for you and for everyone else. And so now you might be asking from this passage, okay, well, what am I supposed to do? Okay, how exactly am I supposed to contribute to the building up of the body of Christ? And many have this mentality that since they're not a pastor or a teacher, they're insignificant. What, what could they possibly contribute of value? But there are no insignificant members in the body. And if you think that way, you're not only going against what the Lord says about his church, but just that mentality is, is going to contribute to the decay of the body. I mean, how many brain cells are you okay with losing? I mean, technically, you don't need them all. And who would notice if one or two went missing? But what's the cutoff? You know, what if if all your brain cells thought, I'm just one cell. He he doesn't need me. She doesn't need me. I'm just going to check out. What if that mentality spread to half your brain cells? Well, that would be catastrophic. I mean, since the brain is so valuable, it's better just to have as many brain cells working as possible. The church is the same way. You might think alone, you don't mean anything, but it's meant to thrive together. It only thrives together. When you have 90% of the church where they're just spectators, they've kind of checked out, they think their contribution doesn't matter that much, but it leads to the catastrophic failure of the body to grow. When you say that, that kind of describes a lot of churches and let that not be us. And so back to the question, what should you do? How should you serve? But here the answer is really simple. Just however the Lord has gifted you. You just do what the Lord has, has gifted you to do. Look back at verse 4 of Ephesians 4. He says, there's one body and one spirit. Just as also you were called into Or in in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And you see here, all the things we have in common, right? These these verses are about the oneness of the body. But you know what we do not have in common? What's different about us? Well, he says in the next verse, it's our gifting. Next verse, verse 7. He says, but to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift and that's not the same you see a clear contrast here from from the oneness of the body to the uniqueness of the body that the Lord Jesus himself gives gifts to each member differently for the building up of the body and so it's very simple if everyone in the church just actively and consistently serves one another with their spiritual gifts, well, the body would grow. And that's it. That's all it takes, says the Lord. However, I've been surprised more and more to find out how many Christians have no idea what this is talking about. You know, the term we often use for this is spiritual gifts. But it's kind of strange, but I've encountered an increasing number of Christians who they've literally never even heard of spiritual gifts. But I guess it's not surprising. Many churches, they're not a family you're a part of. They're an event you attend. And so there's no focus on all the members serving. You just, you come, you sit, you watch the event, you leave. But if, if a local church is to grow and thrive, people need to be equipped with the knowledge of this very important subject, serving with your spiritual gifts. It's something the Lord expects of every individual member, In his church, this should be just Christianity 101. So, with the rest of our time this morning, though, we're going to provide some of that basic knowledge and equipping on spiritual gifts. I know this has kind of been a long-winded introduction, but that's on purpose. Hopefully, from Ephesians 4, you're convinced that you can't just watch. Sorry, Christ's church is not just an event that you get to watch, not if you're to be a true disciple and a functioning member you're called into a family for the work of service. That's not just my work, that's all of your work, the work of service. I've been setting out to preach on some issues related to the church starting last week for a few more weeks and and today we're going to explore spiritual gifts. It's something many people have been asking me about actually. And it also fits perfectly into our own season of growth here at our local church. Here come January, we're going to launch into some smaller groups, some discipleship groups. And I'm telling you, these are going to be a major arena for all the members to be serving one another as the Lord has gifted them and contributing to the building up of the whole body. But of course, I don't want it said that I didn't do my part. And my part, Ephesians 4.11, as your pastor teacher is... Not to do everything, but to equip you for the work of service. And so we're going to do some of that equipping this morning with some biblical instruction on the spiritual gifts. And we don't have a ton of time, but hopefully we can provide enough just to bring you up to speed and to stir you up to both learn more and also to start serving if you're not already to engage in the work of service. So let's just do this with the time we have. Let's try and answer seven common questions about spiritual gifts to help equip you for the work of service. We're going to answer seven common questions about spiritual gifts to help equip you for the work of service. So we'll start with this. Number one, what is a spiritual gift? You can start easy. But turn to First Peter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. And we'll be there for a while, so, so actually turn there. 1 Peter 4. It provides an excellent introduction to this concept of spiritual gifts. And here in chapter 4, Peter is telling us how to live in light of the end. He says in verse 7, the end of all things is near. In God's timetable, the end is right around the corner. And God wants us living with the constant expectation that that Jesus could return at any moment. And so we are to live faithfully in light of the end. What does that look like? Well, he says in verse 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, and then he tells us how to live. Verse 7, be prayerful. Verse 8, be fervent in your love for one another. Prayer and love should continually mark the life of a believer until the Lord returns. But Then down to verse 10, he adds service. How should you live in light of the end? Well, he includes service. Look at verse 10. He says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. The center of this verse is the word charisma in the Greek. It's translated gift or special gift. And this word in the Greek is derived from the word for grace. And charisma then denotes the result of grace as an action. Or in other words, a gift. This word is signifying a grace gift. It's a free gift given to someone. As you might expect, this word is used to refer to our salvation. If you know Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But the free free gift, rather, the, the charisma, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The only thing we earned before God was condemnation, but as a free grace gift through the death and resurrection of Christ, God gives us the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And this free gift is given to all who place their faith and trust in Jesus. And thereafter, after salvation, the Lord also gives to his people another grace gift, another free gift. And so, this word charisma is also used to refer to something we just call spiritual gifts. And spiritual gifts can be defined as supernatural abilities or divine enablements given by the Holy Spirit to all believers for the building up of the church. These divine enablements given by the Holy Spirit to all believers. For the building up of the church. Spiritual gifts are not the same thing as natural talents, which even unbelievers have, but these are just God given abilities and skills for a purpose. Now, let's keep going here. That's pretty basic. Number two, or question two, uh, what are the gifts? What are the spiritual gifts? Might be helpful to give some examples of what we're talking about. What are the spiritual gifts? There are several key passages that list the spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, we just saw Ephesians 4. But here, 1 Peter 4 gives us the simplest understanding. That Peter breaks down these God-given abilities into two simple groups. Two groups, rather. The speaking gifts and the serving gifts. Speaking gifts and serving gifts. Look at verse 11. He says, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. And whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. Now here, Peter chooses not to go into detail. But he simply mentions some people receive gifts that have to do with speaking, while others receive gifts that have to do with serving. Both utterly depend on God, but they meet different needs in the body. Now the church is a community of faith and that faith is meant to grow. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. And so God designed us to grow spiritually by means of his living word, entering our hearts, renewing our minds, changing us from the inside out. And so accordingly, God has gifted some people with these speaking gifts and that's all about just ministering the Word of God to others in some way. And we don't have time to be exhaustive, but a few examples will help. Now, of course, among the speaking gifts, you have the, the gift of teaching. The gift of teaching is the ability to understand the Scriptures and present them clearly to others. Now, look, someone might be an excellent school teacher, but that doesn't mean they will become an excellent Bible teacher. I've literally seen that before doesn't always translate. Again, that's because these are not just natural abilities, but God-given enablements. But you should not think that teachers have cornered the market on the speaking gifts. There's a variety. You also have the gift of evangelism. You know, God calls all believers to evangelize, but some are specially gifted in this area. And then there's also the gift of exhortation. And that's the ability to use God's word and to speak to someone's will, to change their will. Whereas the gift of teaching mostly relates to the mind, the gift of exhortation relates to the heart and the will. Now, Peter also lifts a second category of spiritual gifts, the serving gifts. Those who speak minister to others in the body with words, while those who serve minister to others in the body with actions. And those who speak, we know they often get more attention, but that doesn't mean they're more important. Those who serve are just as important. They're going to meet many spiritual and practical needs of the body. And one prominent serving gift is the gift of helps. The gift of helps is the special ability to identify and meet the needs of others, providing them elite relief. You also have the gift of mercy. Did you even know scripture mentions a gift of mercy? Mercy. And that's a special ability to identify and help those hurting and suffering. Some people are just oblivious to those around them who are hurting and suffering, but others have been gifted by God to see and just specially minister to those who are going through a very dark time. Some are related as the gift of hospitality. This is all about providing rest and care for others, especially the weary. And then you have the gift of giving. Some are enabled by God to be extremely generous with others, and that doesn't mean you have to be rich, it just means you have to be generous and sacrificial. And you look at all these gifts, and in a sense, you might say that they all seem natural. You know, anyone could do these things, But as Peter says here, you are to remember to serve as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. that these serving gifts, they're not flashy, but that doesn't mean they are not supernatural. Believers are still divinely enabled to meet needs with a greater strength than they could have provided on their own. And this is why God gets the glory. You may have the gift of, of giving and you, you know, generously give someone in need a, a ton of money to help them out, but that is not a reason for you to boast. It was God's spirit and his grace gift to you that enabled you to be so generous. These are spiritual gifts, God-given abilities. He still gets the glory as it should be. And so it goes with all the gifts. All of our service derives from God's power and gifting. And so anything accomplished, therefore, is credited to him the way it should be. And this is why Peter concludes verse 11. He says, so that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Well, let's move on to question number three. Who receives spiritual gifts? Who receives these gifts? You know, still in First Peter 4, look again at verse 10. He says, as each one has received a special gift. You can stop there. That, that's explicit in the Greek. That each and every believer has received a gift. It's not optional. This is not just for the spiritually elite. It's for all believers. And that should make sense. In salvation, God gives his Holy Spirit to each and every believer now. And well, that same spirit is going to then give that person a, a divine enablement. In old Church, my wife and I ran this program called angel tree. It's unrelated to my wife being named angel. It just happened to be named angel tree. And it's a program where you collect and deliver Christmas presents to children who have one or both parents incarcerated. It gives you a great window to then, as you deliver the gifts, you, you share the gospel with the children and their caretakers because they they invite you in. And so one time we showed up at this house to make a delivery to three kids. We were told there's only three kids. We had presents for only three kids. And of course we get there and we find there's four kids. And I'll just say, most kids don't do so well when they're left out at gift giving time. But thankfully though, when it comes to the, the distribution of these spiritual gifts, The Holy Spirit doesn't leave anyone out. No one's left out. That means if you're here, you have faith in Christ, you're a believer. That means by definition, you have already been given a spiritual gift. But think about the implications of that. Do you even know what it is? Do you care? Have you thought about it? And then are you using it? Do you think God went to the trouble of giving you a a divine enablement for you to Use it, to employ it, or to do nothing with it. You see, already you can't escape the conclusion that the reality of spiritual gifts is going to place some big demands on you. The gift is free, but it comes with instructions. It comes with expectations that for us to use. Now, question number four, who determines spiritual gifts? Who determines spiritual gifts? First Peter 4.10 says... Each one has received a special gift. And the fact that these are gifts we receive, not abilities we create, indicates that, that they don't come from us. Indeed, God measures out this special grace as he sees fit. He's a wise master builder. He's working together all the individual members, gifting them as he sees fit for the building up of the whole body. Romans twelve six. It says, since we have gifts, charisma, that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. Here it says we have gifts that differ. How do they differ? They differ according to the grace given to us. God gives out this special grace in different measure. Also Ephesians 4, 7, which we read, it says, but to each one of us, grace was given According to the measure of Christ's gift. Now it shows how the Lord Jesus upon ascending, he gave gifts to the members of his body and he does so as he sees fit. It's according to the measure of his grace. Now he uses means himself and the means that Christ uses to gift the body is the Holy Spirit. The whole triune God is involved in our spiritual gifts. In 1 first Corinthians 12, Paul has a lot to say, about this subject of spiritual gifts. He uses a different word there, pneumaticos. It means that which is of the spirit. But he uses that word interchangeably with, with this word charisma. One word means spiritual. The other word means gifts. We put them together, spiritual gifts. But Paul makes clear that these gifts come to us directly through the Holy Spirit, according to his will, the Spirit's will. Just listen to 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. There Paul says, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things and all persons. But then he says, but to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. And then he gives a short list of gifts, and he says this in verse 11. But he says, But one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. Every believer has been given a a spiritual gift, and they don't get to choose. It's given by God and Christ through the Holy Spirit as the Spirit wills. And so your gifting is determined by God. I remember playing baseball as a kid and and in baseball, you don't get to choose your batting order. The coach chooses the batting order. First up is your most reliable hitter. Second and third, pretty good power hitters. Fourth is your cleanup hitter. That's going to be the best hitter on the team. And then fifth through ninth is kind of everyone else. But all you can do is just accept your order and play your role. That's your job. You're not the coach. The coach is going to choose You just need to accept the order you've been given and play your role to the best of your ability. And the same goes with your spiritual gifts. God has chosen for you. He's given without asking you. And you need to accept your role and and just serve. If that bothers you, well, just remember, unlike a coach, God does not make mistakes. He knows what he's doing. You can trust him and his wisdom to gift you as he sees fit for his glory, for your good, for the building up of the body. There are no insignificant gifts. And God has placed you exactly where he wants you. It's just a question of, are you functioning? But he's placed you where he wants you. What's more special than that? You need to learn to accept his will and just play your role with a happy heart. That part is up to you. speaking of though, what exactly is your role? What are we doing here? Let's ask question number five. What is the purpose of spiritual gifts? What is the purpose of spiritual gifts? We can still answer this in 1 Peter 4. I told you this is a great passage for introducing the spiritual gifts. It's got a little bit of everything. And so again, Peter says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another. Here you need to pick up on the words, employ it. AKA, use it. Put it to good use. Whatever spiritual gifts you have, they come with a purpose, and that is to be used. And God gives them to you so that you might employ them. So don't don't just sit around with them, don't ignore them. You're supposed to employ them. Are you employing your spiritual gift? You know, as the Catholic Church emerged over time, they started to deviate from the example of the early church. And one things, well, one of the things that the Catholics introduced was a priesthood system. And the New Testament never tells us or even suggests that we are to have a priestly class over us now. And to the contrary, it says all believers are like priests before God. But the Catholics wrongly imported the Jewish priesthood system, put it in the church, used it as a means of power and control. And over time, there became this very distinct uh, distinction between the clergy and the laity. You know, the priest, he does all the ministry. He reads the Bible. He leads the worship. He administers the sacraments. He supposedly forgives sin through confession. He ta- counsels, he teaches, he takes the offering. He does everything. Me, I come, I sit, I listen, I watch, I leave. You know, they wanted People that do this, they're fine with this. You just, you come, you give money, and that's fine. They don't want to yield up too much power or influence. And the second you start having more and more people involved in the work of the ministry, you give up a little bit of your control and influence over the body. But thankfully, things changed during the Reformation. And that the Reformers went back to the scriptures and realized that the whole Catholic priesthood system is just not in the Bible. And they recognized All believers have been given spiritual gifts by God, and they're all supposed to use them in the work of the ministry. And the whole concept of a few guys doing all the work of the ministry while everyone else just kind of spectates is thoroughly unbiblical. That every person is called to employ the gifts given to them. We can be a little more specific here, though. Every person is to employ their gifts to the building up of the body. I've repeated that several times now. That should come as no surprise to the building up of the body. It's the explicit purpose of the gifts. And like Peter says, employ your gift to serve one another. Every single time spiritual gifts are mentioned, their purpose is crystal clear. It's not to serve yourself. It's to serve the body. First Corinthians twelve seven: to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. First Corinthians 14, 26, he says, what is the outcome then brethren? When you assemble, each one has a Psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. It means to build up. God gave these spiritual enablements for the growth and maturity of the body, but then he spread the gifts around. That no one person has all the gifts needed for the growth of the body. You know, I may have the gift of teaching, but that's not all this body needs. I need more than that. I'm not enough. God made us all interdependent on one another. And so for the body to be built up in holiness and Christlikeness, every member needs to be employing their gift. That's what it takes for a local church to flourish. You know, a lot of churches believe it. If they just have kind of a a gifted superstar-like pastor, they're good to go. Everyone will come and watch the show and attend the event and they'll succeed. But no, it takes every single individual member pitching in, serving, employing their gifts. If the body's going to grow as God designed, grow not just in numbers, but in depth and in maturity. This is what it takes. So you need to be employing your gift. Now, a couple more here. We're almost done. Question six. What is at stake with our spiritual gifts? What is at stake with our spiritual gifts? One more time, look at 1 Peter 4.10. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Serving with your gifts is a matter of stewardship before God. And so what's at stake here is your faithfulness. Do you want to be found faithful or not? This is no small matter. A steward is one who's put in charge of another's property or wealth. They don't own it. They're just given the task of watching over it, taking care of it, protecting it, even increasing it. And they're not given stewardship to serve themselves, but to serve their master. And just as... Well, God has has given you a special gift by his grace in the same manner. You're you're a steward of that gift. And just as God's grace is manifold, he says, or or multicolored, well, so is his gifting. Everyone is given something different, something special. But God has given you his grace gift for a purpose. The purpose is serving others in the body. And and he's going to check. There is an accounting here. To see how good a steward you've been with his special gift. All stewards are eventually called in for accounting. Have you used your stewardship faithfully? Have you used it at all? Your faithfulness is on the line. When God gives you the grace gift of salvation, it's entirely free. But he does thereafter demand faithfulness. Peter says here, the end of all things is near. Christ will return and he will ask all of his stewards what they've been up to. How have they used the grace gift of salvation and the grace gift of their spiritual gift to glorify him by serving the body? And so on that day, will you be ashamed? Will you be found wanting? Will will your, your paltry works burn up, so to speak? Or will you be found faithful? to the glory of the master or to the reward of you. I pray you would be found faithful much is at stake here. Lastly, an important question. Number seven, how do you discover your spiritual gifts? How do you discover your spiritual gifts? This last question may be the most practically important one of them all. And I was going to give you a nice detailed answer, but it's too bad. We're out of time. This question is to be skipped. And I'm, I'm actually not joking. <laughs> and We've got communion Sunday this morning. It's the memorial barbecue Sunday. So I had to shorten the sermon, which means I had to cut out this last question. And it's very hard to cut down a sermon you worked hard on. I, I had a seminary professor who once said that when you got to cut down a sermon, it's kind of like determining which of your kids don't get to go to Disney World with you. <laughs> it's kind of brutal. But I don't want to leave you hanging too much because I know this is a super important question. So here's my concession, you know, tonight and tonight only, we're going to do a a two-part or a part two Bible study and come back on this topic of spiritual gifts. It'll be a little less formal, but we're going to do a proper survey of all 18 gifts mentioned in the New Testament. And then we'll answer this question, how do you discover your spiritual gifts? It's the best we can do with the time we have. So, come back tonight if you want the answer, or if you can't come back tonight, these are recorded. So, Monday or Tuesday, you'll be able to download it. But hopefully, what we've covered so far is giving you just enough of an introduction to get acquainted with this subject. What is a spiritual gift? What are the spiritual gifts? Who receives spiritual gifts? Who determines spiritual gifts? What is the purpose of spiritual gifts? What's at stake with our spiritual gifts? We've answered these questions from scripture and and I trust this this helps equip you even a little bit more for the work of service. That's your work. and more equipping will, will take place tonight, but understand a lot is on you. You've been gifted by God. It's on you to keep searching God's word, to understand this issue and your own gifting. And it's on you to employ it to serve the body. That's something I can't do for you, but let this basic knowledge just spur you on to learn more and to do more. We can fittingly conclude, though, for now with, with Peter's closing words in verse 11. I began by asking you, you know, why do people volunteer? Why do people just give of their time and energy to serve others? For some, it's a chore. For others, an obligation. But for us, as followers of Christ, we have a special Reason It's ultimately to glorify God. This is how we glorify the God who saved us. And so Peter tells us to use our speaking gift or our serving gift in verse 11, so that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. And we do all things to the glory of God. And that most certainly includes serving one another with our spiritual gifts the Lord Jesus died to redeem us to him certainly belongs the power and the glory, the dominion forever and ever. And if it's his will that we now enter this body upon salvation, his church, and he gives us special enablements and he wants us to use them to serve one another, to build up others into his image. That's just his will and his design. We should just happily embrace that. This is his church, his salvation, his plan. He's the head of the body. And what brings him honor and glory is when all the members, these individual different members of his body, still come together as one to serve one another. That's what brings him glory and honor. So we should happily get busy with that. Make this your ambition. That Christ has gifted his church to serve. And so let's serve one another and all partake in this work of ministry. And let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we praise you this morning for this time in your word. Your word is instructive and it reveals much. We need to learn what you expect of us. We thank you for for Christ, our Savior, and his grace gift of salvation. The one who died on the cross and rose from the dead for us. To pay for our sins, to offer us new life, which we receive by faith in him alone. And yet, Lord, upon coming to Christ in salvation, you give us the Holy Spirit we learn to even give us a gift. This is something we need to, to know about. We need equipping here to learn what you now expect of us after our salvation. How are we to live in this life? How are we to live in light of the end as Christ will return? We've learned this morning about this these spiritual gifts you've given to us. And I pray at the very least we're a little more instructed and also convicted. For many here, it might be time to, to get a little more serious, to, to take heed, to, to inquire what is their own spiritual gift, and then to get busy employing it in the building up of this body. You do not design your church to be a spectator sport. This is not just an event. Rather, your church is to be a body, a bride, and a family where we all come together as one to remember you and to worship you and also to build up one another. And so I pray we, we get busy with this work, this work of service, which is for all of us here. So may you continue to equip us and gift us with your spirit. May we respond in service. To your glory, in Christ's name we pray. Amen.